Welcome to Your Health Guide, your how-to prescription for better health, translating cutting-edge research for your everyday life. Join naturopath and health educator Lawrence Katsaris for practical tips and insights to help you on your wellness journey. Thanks for joining me on Your Health Guide. I'm Lawrence Katsaris and in this episode I'm joined by naturopath and researcher Joanne McNeil to discuss just how influential the parent's health is upon shaping the life of their child. Did you know that certain factors in a mother's life, such as stress, toxin exposure, nutritional status or body composition, during three months before conception and during pregnancy, have the ability to not only impact the birth and infancy of that child, but can change their health outcomes and risk from childhood right through to adult years, as well as even impacting the next generation? Which I know sounds far-fetched, but recent research is showing some groundbreaking mechanisms of exactly how this takes place. So Joe and I will walk through how we can best approach harnessing the opportunity present for the mother during this preconception and pregnancy time period and how with some simple lifestyle interventions and getting enough of the key nutrients can really set your child up for the best start to life. So if you're thinking of having a child or you're pregnant at the moment, I hope that this information can be truly helpful for you and for your family. I hope you enjoy the episode. Joe, thanks for joining me on the show again. No worries, Lawrence. Now, you've been spending the better part of this year researching how to support mothers and fathers when they're looking at conceiving and how this can play a huge role on not only the health of the mother and the child while she's pregnant, but through the course of the whole child's life. From looking at the latest research, what do you think is the biggest change that's coming out in what the science is finding now? Mm, that's an interesting question, Lawrence. Uh, so for a long time, long time we've known that uh, we inherit our genes from our parents. Um, what is more, perhaps more interesting and recent uh, is the understanding that we also inherit the legacy of our parents' exposures. So whether that be environmental, diet, uh, lifestyle, these things can have a huge impact on the way we express our genes throughout our life. Which is very, almost controversial, I think, in the sense that mm. everyone's been very accepting that we obviously pass on our genetic material and the chromosomes come from mum and dad and that helps make up a lot of the, the basic kind of mechanics of the, the child. Mm. But what you're talking about now is that the expression of those genes influences beyond, I guess, a lot of physical traits and kind of predetermined traits by the genes the science is now showing that you can change which genes you express mm. and that will influence your health. And that's what you're talking about when you're saying environmental exposure. Like how is it that, well, I guess, would you mind defining what you mean by environmental exposure to the, to the parents? Sure. Uh, so environmental exposures could be anything from you know, toxic exposure, um, but it also could be things like stress, um, and we, when we look at things like famine, uh, cigarette smoke, those kind of things can actually influence the way our genes are expressed, either turned off or on, uh, and then go on to affect things like chronic disease risk factors um, later, later on in life. Because I guess for the audience, we can have a gene material, so we've got our genes, and the analogy that always gets used is often like it's like a book, like our mm. book of life, you know, and you can kind of think about it like an encyclopedia. But... You don't read every single chapter of that encyclopedia and by reading in our genes that metaphor translates to 
expressing that gene. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I could have a gene, for instance, of, um, you know, cardiovascular that would encourage me to have a cardiovascular problem, but I may not express that gene, I may not switch it on, mm. meaning I may not actually ever present with that in my life. That's right. Which is where they sort of say that your genes aren't your destiny in that case. It's more about your genetic expression. Mm-hmm. Now, with that in mind, you've just basically said, like, you know, stress, famine, exposure to toxins. So basically everything that we're exposed to has the potential to influence the future of our child and the future health of our child by changing that genetic expression. And there's amazing examples of this in history, isn't there? Mm, yeah, there's some fascinating uh, examples of history. Uh, this in history obviously this is a difficult thing to study in humans so we do have to look back in time and and look at these historical events Uh, one really interesting example that's used quite a lot um, when talking about epigenetics is uh, the Dutch famine and this occurred when, um, in 1944, uh, there's a German blockade that cut off food um, and fuel to regions in the, the Netherlands. Um, it was pretty catastrophic. Like, adult rations dropped, you know, half to a quarter of what we should be eating. Um, and women who were pregnant uh, during this time, obviously they were, their health were, was affected. But what we're finding um, when we study these adults um, that are the, the children of these mothers, uh, they have different disease risk. So um, what we find is that they have higher levels of metabolic conditions like diabetes and obesity. They also have um, neurological uh, presentations like depression and higher rates of schizophrenia and what we're finding is that these even are more expressed in the grandchildren of um, the people that went through this famine which is where stuff gets like interesting right because mm. you might say okay the mother was pregnant at the time of the dutch famine i think they were surviving on like 400 to 800 calories a day or something, yeah, right? which is crazy that's, that's right. like it's about the equivalency of a meal mm. and they're eating that all day i know that like Thousands of people died, people were falling over, collapsing in the streets. So you might say, okay, well, she's pregnant at the time, but she's starving. It makes sense that it's going to change mm. the health of that of that child and then maybe set it up. But I, what's probably still interesting for a lot of people is that it's not just that child would be born and maybe a little bit underweight or struggle through its infancy and childhood. Mm. That'll change it, the course of its whole health direction for its life. That's right. And then the fact that then when that child grows up, has a family of its own, it would then pass on some of those traits. That's right. Nuts. Another really interesting example is um, uh, really it's an ongoing study um, coming out of Bristol, uh, and that followed actually thousands of um, young people and their parents. And um, it's interesting to see the uh, that the those people who grand, whose grandfathers started smoking earlier in life are actually predisposed to obesity. Um, so something <laughs> something that our grandfathers did back when they were, you know, very young, we're talking, you know... Pre-pubescent years, Yeah, right? exactly. Um, it has an, it potentially impacts our uh, metabolic health now. It's like the, if he started smoking before 11 years of age, it increased the risk of obesity in the offspring. That's right, yeah. And... I guess the thing to consider is that it wasn't just a rebellious period for the, for the kid, right? It's not yeah. like he smoked for six months. Like, in that time period, they would have been smoking and then continued to smoke. It's because what, I guess, good men did, right? Yeah. Um, and that that toxic exposure would have changed the health of his child and grandchild when he went to conceive some, like, 10, 15, 20 years later. Mm. 
which fascinating. is yeah, which is super <laughs> fascinating. And I'm going to be talking. I'm going to do another episode on how the health of the father influences because I think that the father gets off very lightly. It's, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's all about supporting the mother and I guess where the common idea in society at the moment is is support the mother when she's pregnant. Mm. Where what you're saying already is that, well, the health of the mother prior to conception. But there's a particular window before or stage, mm. kind of time period before conception. So anything in her life could influence her health, yeah. right? But it's really that three to four month window that's critically important because we can kind of go in there and clean up some of that epigenetic um, epigenetics in the mother and I guess make sure we write the encyclopedia really well yeah, for the child. That's right. And if you think about it realistically, we can't go back and change time um, <laughs> as much as you'd like to, Lawrence. <laughs> um, uh, but what we can do is, you know, uh, help set up the best opportunity, uh, particularly in that sort of three to four month window before conception, ideally. Um, but also, you know, there's other windows of, of opportunity as well throughout pregnancy and then in the early stages of a child's life as well. Yeah, okay. So let's talk about this preconception period and the pregnancy period, um, especially relating to the mother. We've been talking so far about like toxin exposure mm-hmm. um, and <clears throat> nutritional status in the mother through the Dutch famine example. Another thing, one example historically that I think was amazing was uh, the impact of the stress for Holocaust survivors mm. on the brain and how that changed the brain structure of the Holocaust survivors and then their children had similar brain structures and stress predispositions, mm. um, which is, I think, almost... It's like you're inheriting the memory mm. like, and the, and the trauma. Well, you're basically inheriting the trauma from the, from the parents there, right? That's right, yeah. And there's some interesting animal examples of uh, models used in the research to show that um, stress, you know, the animal version of stress, can switch on and off genes... Um, influencing the offspring's stress response. So that's really is working through that epigenetic mechanism. Um, so we, and, and we know that, you know, uh, children born to mothers that were stressed um, do actually have different epigenetic patterns. Um, so, and, and that, that can then go on to affect their risk of mental health later on in life. So it's really important uh, to dial in stress, I think, ideally prior to conception, um, because that's going to make... Um, managing stress throughout pregnancy much easier. Yeah, definitely. So keeping those stages, I guess, as stress-free as possible. Mm. And if she's walking into that pregnancy already highly stressed or anxious because maybe she's been, you know, because of life, work, mm. or maybe she's had mental health issues herself, trying to correct that is what you're saying. Yeah. Gives her the best opportunity, which will be great, and mm. help her, like, like after birth as well mm-hmm. in that postnatal period and also then give that child the best mental health outcomes as well. Of course, yeah. So during the preconception period, we're talking these three to four months before conception. So we've started saying toxin exposure, one thing to be very mindful of. Stress, another thing to be very mindful Mm of. Um, Nutritional status, critically important. Nutritional status, I think, needs to be stressed. If you think about um, how quickly things happen from conception, right? Um, So, like, you know, we we can control certain things, uh, but, you know, when we're talking about preconception care, women could fall pregnant any time during during that period. Uh, So um, we want to get nutritional uh, intake really cleaned up before conception, ideally. Um, As soon as conception starts everything starts to ramp up. So as early as we can do that as 
possible the best. And because when we're looking at probably the most well-known nutritional or nutrient in pregnancy is folic acid mm. and because that decreases neural tube defects mm-hmm. but yet that neural tube closes in the first 28 days exactly. right yeah. and so for a lot of women they don't even realize they're pregnant until maybe like 22 days or 20 yeah. days through to that right so what you're saying is making sure she's got all the got all the ducks in line with her nutrients because as soon as she can see we need that there from day one exactly yeah so nutritional status is probably the most important thing. So get that happening yeah. as soon as you start thinking about wanting to have a child. Then be making sure that we're dealing with toxins, yep. dealing with um, stressors, uh, any other factors that you think are the priorities. Yeah, m- metabolic health I think can't be underestimated as well. Um, in fact, I think it would be a, a, a huge priority during this period. Uh, we know that... Um, a higher BMI for women uh, when they're pregnant is associated with lots of risk factors um, for that for the mother, uh, but it also goes um, on to predispose the child for obesity and metabolic conditions later on in life. And we know that weight loss takes time; it's difficult. It can well, it can be difficult. Uh, so starting that process, um, you know, in preconception is the most ideal. And how much weight? You know, as you're saying, it can take a little bit of time, but. She doesn't have to be getting down to her perfect ideal mm. weight, does she? No, just a 10% reduction in weight um, has actually been shown to improve outcomes for women. In fact, um, greatly improves fertility as well. Mm. Uh, so if infertility is an issue for women, uh, looking at weight loss can have profound impacts. Which is something to probably to clarify is that when we're talking about this is most people will think about maybe doing some kind of pre conception intervention if they're struggling with fertility Mm. where really we're saying this should be almost mandatory so that you can promote the best health outcomes in your child for their child's life and even Mm. then they you know their children and so your grandchildren etc yeah um so how would you be you know maybe some of us are all carrying a couple of extra kilos Mm -hmm. like when is it that i should be concerned about my metabolic health impacting the health of my child Mm. yeah i think that uh, talking to your practitioner about um, your metabolic health, I think it'll be it'll depend on risk factors, your body type. Um, I think doing a like a waist hip ratio is important because that can have a big impact on your metabolic uh, profile as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the closer that gets to one for her is not ideal. Yeah, that's so right. So the more yeah. if you've got. I don't know, 95 centimetre waist and a 95 centimetre hip, then your ratio is going to be one. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not ideal. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it needs to be closer to around 0. 0.8. Yeah, 0. 0.8, that's right. Um, and so they'll be able to look at your waist circumference, waist to hip ratio, mm-hmm. um, I guess actual fat mass, like mm. they might be using devices to look at how much fat mass you've got and whether that's problematic. Mm-hmm. Um any other factors that you want to be assessing? Um, particularly if you're looking at the body composition, if your practitioner can do that, um, looking at your muscle mass I think is a really important factor as well. Um, building muscle mass uh, will help uh, you know, the met- your mod- metabolic health and then the metabolic health of the child, but it will also help with pregnancy. It's going to make... Um, you know, pregnancy much easier. Yeah, cool. So mm. you just need to be getting massive guns. It's just like... No, yeah, just, just improving, improving your muscle mass. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, also looking at things like blood glucose yeah. as well. Like yeah, if If definitely. she's got any prior blood glucose issues like diabetes, there's those studies looking at um, glycated hemoglobin, mm-hmm. which is a measurement of... Um, your average, yeah, your yeah. average sort of blood glucose levels for those yep. listening. 
and higher levels of glycated hemoglobin, so basically a, a higher average blood glucose level, is associated with like um, learning outcomes in the mm. child, metabolic health in the child. Mm-hmm. So certainly looking at that, which I guess is also then really important for come gestational diabetes and exactly. the pregnancy window. Yeah, that can, and that can be a huge risk factor during pregnancy. So dialing that in, in preconception is going to lower that risk. Yeah. So your practice will be able to assess, you know, your metabolic health by body composition, by looking at blood glucose levels, mm-hmm. maybe fasting insulin. If if these are sort of things that you've had problems with before, I guess metabolic health also brings in the thyroid function mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Um, really important for the developing. Nervous system of the child, very much so. Yeah, yeah, and particularly if there's a family history of metabolic conditions, I think this is even more pertinent. So, if you're seeing in your family history that you've got cardiovascular disease, metabolic um, dysregulation, obesity, those kind of things, diabetes, cardiovascular disease, yeah, yeah. Um, hypertension, like high blood pressure, mm-hmm. these are sort of things where you you, you want to pay particular attention to because essentially. Mm-hmm. What we're seeing in the research in, is that, and you start to see this sort of transcribe in reality, is that if you've got a history of that, like if you've got that in the family tree, it's likely you're going to pass on the same kind of genetic expression mm. to the child. And That's then that right. child's going to be predisposed to that. Um, and it's never always written. There's still the environment influence on that. So, mm. you, you know, you can correct that through later in life. But it's just going to give you the odds are going to be slightly higher. Mm-hmm. So assessing her metabolic health. Now, I guess stepping back to toxins, when is it that we could be considering that toxins could be a problem? Mm. It's considering that you know the world is kind of riddled with toxins. She's going to be exposed to toxins anyway. Yeah. yeah. Where do you kind of, <laughs> for those listening, when is it that I should really start to think, okay, I probably need to address this? Yeah. So toxins are ubiquitous in our world at the moment, uh, unfortunately. Uh, And, you know, I think that they're a consideration for, they should be a consideration for everyone and doing things like, you know, cleaning up your home and, um, you know, avoiding heating things up in plastic and um, changing your personal care products and things like that. It's not going to hurt. It's going to help everybody. Um, When I think about prioritising treatment, though, I think, you know, dialing in your nutrition, your stress and your metabolic health is actually going to go a long way to protect you against toxins. Um, We store a lot of toxins in our fat, so I think doing that in preconception care, like, you know, weight loss is important. Um, A lot of nutrition that we look at is actually really protective of toxins. So doing these things can be um, to lay down those foundations. Then if, you know, um, I think this is, again, where a practitioner is useful um, because a practitioner can look at you, your lifestyle, um, where you live, your exposures, your workplace, and assess whether you may need further support. And this is in this can be really important, um, but it may not necessarily be the first priority look you look at. Definitely. So, like, they'll start to look at you know if you're a hairdresser or a nail technician exactly. or a, you know a beauty therapist, or like you're going to get high environmental exposure, or yep. you know if you're working in the mines, or yep. you know that that would be something where it might be a red flag for a practitioner to go, mm-hmm. okay, we need to do additional support. Mm-hmm. I think your point about helping with general health is really important because I think that there's a misunderstanding, like you need to switch on detoxification, like I'm going to mm. do a detox. It's like you're detoxifying right now. All the time. You know? Everybody's detoxing. Yeah. <laughs> and supporting the right nutrients just and the right health and the body comp in the individual means that's going to happen a bit, like mm. a lot better. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, that's fantastic. And then obviously stress is probably pretty easy because if you're present like 
people are going to know. If you're presenting with stress symptoms, if you're feeling overwhelmed, if you have a trouble sleeping, if you're feeling anxious or suffer from mm-hmm. um, a bit of depression or if you feel like stress is starting to become too much of a component of your life, um, and especially the same thing again, I guess, looking at family history of if you see mood disorders there, then mm-hmm. that might be something that we'd be getting addressed through the practitioner. Mm-hmm. So this is during preconception, but all of this stuff is the same during pregnancy in the sense where that's still really important during pregnancy as it well. Is, right? yeah. So if you're listening to this and you're thinking, uh, damn, I'm you know three months pregnant, that's fine. Like you still, these are things that we just address during whatever kind of stage that you're at and still important during pregnancy and even like, you know, postnatally as well. Mm. So anything else, I guess, that's really important during that preconception period for her? Mm, I think we've covered all of the main factors, nutrition, stress, metabolic health, and then perhaps considering toxins as well. One thing that I realise we haven't mentioned is when we're talking about this for the child, it's those kind of areas that you're influencing in their development as well, isn't it? It's like Mm. the science shows that they're the kind of main areas that you're influencing the child is the neurodevelopment of that child through their life. Mm. So they're obviously their development as a child and, you know, their learning abilities, but then also their mental health as an adult, Mm -hmm. Um, their metabolic health. So, you know, their likelihood of developing things like high blood pressure or diabetes or Mm. obesity and then their immune health. Yeah, I was going to say their immune programming, uh, we can influence that quite dramatically in in these stages. Yeah, which is also really important through that pregnancy, I guess. Mm, Um, Exactly, yep. So they're the areas that we're going to help with the child. They're the areas that we'll help with the mother. Stepping Mm -hmm. into the pregnancy stage, um, we keep the same kind of nutrients that are involved there, but a couple others start to kind of come to the or bump up in the priority list, Mm. don't they? Yeah. Look, I I think one thing I want to make really clear is that it's important to look at this really holistically. Um, You know, we'll talk about folate in a moment, but folate's one that, you know, a lot of people are aware of that we need in pregnancy, and um, we certainly need it, I I would say, you know, prior to conception um, and throughout pregnancy. Uh, But when we... There's some really exciting studies coming out... um, Uh, the Grow Baby studies I'm talking about, uh, where they're looking at really holistic nutrition and they're having incredible impacts on the health of the mother, but then also what we're seeing is that that's translating to the health of the child as well. Um, So I think, you know, we'll we'll talk about some specific nutrients, but I I think I want to make it really clear that this is a really holistic... We want to look at it holistically. Yeah, and that Grow Baby studies, and then they've set up their apps for the mother. So Mm. you just go to Grow Baby growbabyhealth.com, mm-hmm. I believe it is. And they were showing individualised uh, nutritional and health programs for the mother and just basically making sure that she's meeting her nutritional mm. requirements because they also do change through each trimester of the pregnancy. Exactly. yeah. And in the app, she's able to take photos and log her food. Like, she's taking photos of her food, not for posting on Instagram, but more for <laughs> grabbing her nutritional status. Mm. And it'll then track how she's going with getting some of these critical nutrients. Like, simple things like protein. Protein, you know? yeah. And they look at probiotics as well. Um, and they look at um, minerals and vitamins. Like, it's very, very holistic. Yeah, and these are things that can be easily forgotten because I find that, especially in the first trimester, if she's suffering from morning sickness, mm. that it can be difficult to be getting the right kind of nutrients in. Mm. So that's something that you can use as a listener and you can just sign up to the app. It is like a web-based app, meaning that you don't get it from iTunes or the Google Play Store, but you go to the website and it's like a website page that you'll use through there. 
And it's just a monthly subscription that I've seen is really beneficial for helping mothers track the nutrients, making sure they're getting in the important stuff. It's also got things like um, shopping lists. Mm, and, it's really um, practical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So really, mm. really worth checking out for a small fee per month. Um, so making sure those nutrients are there, addressing that holistically, making sure we're not just sort of targeting like folic acid, for instance. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, like things like iron, critically important. A lot of women may be mm. at conception already like borderline anemic mm. which is going to compromise their health through the pregnancy mm-hmm. energy levels and also affect things like neurodevelopment of that child exactly yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, what other than core nutrients stand out to you that's important for her in the in that stage yeah so I do actually want to mention folate because it is so important <laughs> um, we've we've seen a, a dramatic decrease in neural tube defects since the fortification of food it can't be underestimated how important folic acid is um, during pregnancy Definitely. Um, uh, so I suppose just for the listeners like what why that is the case is that folate's involved in um, things like DNA repair and um, epigenetic regulation, so um, those exp- the expression of genes. Um, uh, and it, you know, deficiency increases oxidative stress as well. So, and that can and the fetus is very sensitive to these things. Uh, so, um, and like you said, the neural tube closes in that first 28 days um, of con- after conception. So we really want to make sure that at least in that period, like we really want to be um, uh, making sure that we're getting enough of that folate. Um, but it's not, it doesn't stop there. I think we need to, when we talk about why folate's important, a lot of the mechanisms um, uh, that it impacts are also impacted by other nutrients, things like vitamin B12, vitamin B6, vitamin B2, so the, the B vitamins, um, but also choline. And I think that's one that gets um, underestimated. Very much so. I don't think many people would even know what choline is. No. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, it's in things like eggs, um, meat, liver, yeah. um, uh, s- uh, smaller amounts in vegetables, uh, but it is actually quite difficult to get a, um, an adequate amount of uh, choline during pregnancy. Um, so I think we really need to start thinking about supplementing choline Definitely. in time. Because those, it in itself is really important, which I'm sure we'll get into, and it's supporting like the same kind of actions that folic acid is doing. Exactly. And yeah. I think during pregnancy, her daily requirements like 440 milligrams. That, that's right, yeah. And studies have shown on average women consume about 250 milligrams, yeah. right? And then we see benefits in studies, um, you know, around the 550 mark, and that's supplemental, so that's on top of their diet intake, I believe. Yeah. Mm. Um, so if you're feasting on like some beef liver every day, you might be getting that, but I don't think too many women are. Not many. Um, <laughs> and otherwise for Examples like I think about um, I think a, a cup of quinoa gets you about fifty milligrams mm-hmm. of choline. Um, Is that, um, dried or cooked? Oh, good question. <laughs> I think cooked. Okay, but yep, um, yep. Um, if you're looking at soybeans, and the same, um, it's about half a cup will get you about the fifty milligrams. Okay. And again, I'm not sure if that would be um, cooked, but I'm, I'm guessing that's cooked. You're not eating soybeans raw, really. Um, so just to kind of give a bit of an indication of an, an egg, for instance, will get you a bit over 100 milligrams mm. of choline, I believe. So Yeah. Generally, it, animal products have more choline in it, right? Yeah. So um, really important if you're vegetarian or vegan. Definitely. Like, I'm 
going to bet that you're not getting enough choline. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, there are vegan um, and vegetarian um, supplemental forms of choline. So that's available to people who, um, you know, make those dietary choices. For sure. And I find <laughs> in most women, choline is something that I'm wanting to supplement during pregnancy. Because yeah, yeah. like you're saying, there's the 440, which is the recommended daily intake, but studies will show up around the 930 milligrams a day yeah. versus, say, 480 milligrams a day. Yeah has an impact in the health of that child. Yeah, you know? so I think the studies start around 500, right? And then yeah. around that 900 is where you start to get pretty profound mm. benefits. And the benefits they see are the child at four years and seven years of age, like their processing speed, mm. their memory, attention. their focus, their attention, um, their reading ability, significantly different to those that mothers weren't supplementing those doses of choline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and who doesn't want that for their child? Totally. I think it's really important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. And not something, I find it interesting, it's not something that's going to be obviously noticeable. It's like at 18 months there wasn't necessarily a difference in some of these studies, but it's Mm. like they start to pull away through those years as they age. Mm. And how profound something that you do through pregnancy can have such a huge impact on their ability to seven and a half function. Years later. Yeah, seven. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, so really making sure you're getting enough choline. You can be looking at dietary sources of choline mm-hmm. um, and just be making sure you're eating foods rich in that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but otherwise, in most cases, I find like it's really looking at supplementation yeah. of choline yeah. um, and really bumping that up to aiming for around that 900 milligrams is where. So, you know, assume that you might get a couple hundred through your diet. Mm-hmm. Hopefully in a good pregnancy multivitamin, you're getting you a little get bit of choline from bit. that. Yeah. And then you're also getting some then through the supplementation. Yeah, I would definitely supplement on top of that. Yeah. yeah. And one thing I guess is what like how important it is is that how it gets used for developing neurons in the brain. Yeah, yeah. So it's not only um, – all those things I mentioned about folate, um, it's involved in the same pathway. So it's going to be involved in DNA repair and, um, you know, epigenetic sort of regulation, what we've spoken about. Um, but it's also required for, um, you know, the um, – insulation around our neurons essentially to make them fire correctly um, and it's also involved in all of it, the structure of our cells uh, um, and that inf- impacts their function so when you think about how quickly we're making new cells and new neurons uh, when we're um, you know um, we, we're creating a child <laughs> uh, that's happening so rapidly so that's why the uh, requirement for choline greatly increases during pregnancy yeah, so do not miss that. Don't just be focusing mm. on folic acid. Next thing I'd probably I'd probably put it up there. It's like it's like folic acid and choline. Mm. Don't miss that. Yeah, like, definitely. Um, any other? What's what's next on your priority list? Yeah, sure. Um, so uh, I think I'm not sure if I'm going to put these in priority. I, we'll talk about minerals and a couple of vitamins later, um, but I think DHA is something that I want to mention now because mm-hmm. it works really well in synergy with choline. Uh, so we need DHA for our brain function, for our, um, the development of our eye as, uh, eyes as well. Uh, our brains are really rich in DHA. Um, so uh, for those listening, the DHA is an omega-3 um, uh, fatty acid. So this is typically comes from fish. That's uh, the highest... Um, source of DHA Uh, and I think it's really important to start to think about our omega-3 intake during pregnancy particularly DHA yeah so getting enough and the 
RDI, again, recommended daily intake is like 200 milligrams. It's is very conservative. Super low. But, you know, Lawrence, only um, like 90% of Australian women aren't getting even that. Yeah, I know, which is like it's <laughs> so low and we're not even getting enough of that. Yeah, and yeah. Which is the same if you, you know, across the States and the UK. It's like yeah. most of the developed world is not getting enough yeah. of that. So, um, but then that's... 200 milligrams where, you know, that you'll see studies where they supplement with like 600 milligrams, right? Yeah. And that's where you're starting to get I impact. Think you want to aim for at least 600. So yeah. 600 um, milligrams to, you know, um, oh, like a gram, a gram yeah. Um, I, and I think it's really important to acknowledge that a lot of people choose not to eat fish during pregnancy um, for, you know, that uh, maybe Tox- concerned about toxins. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people... Um, because our oceans are, you know, devastated. Um, but a lot of people are concerned about cost as well. Fish can be expensive in some places, um, hard to source fresh fish. Um, and, you know, some people are, you know, vegan or vegetarian. Again, so that's a, that's a consideration. Yeah, and um, I, I think my last episode might have been on fish oil and the importance of it. Um, and I spoke about a little bit about the importance of uh, EPA and DHA. Um, from fish oil commonly um, about it, during pregnancy, but how the importance of getting, you know, you might, even if you do eat fish, you're not necessarily going to be coming above those 200 milligrams That's of DHA. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's different in different fish, and the farming of fish will change the omega-3 profile of it, not only the toxins. And then even if you supplement it with fish oil, there's a huge spectrum of variation between the oh, like, quality yeah. of fish oil getting the EPA and DHA levels so like 600 milligrams may be looking at like six capsules in one fish oil brand where you might be looking at like <laughs> two to three or something in another if it's That's right. quality without like and also free from contaminants, et cetera. And asking pregnant women to take six huge fish oil tablets not a day or capsules a day. That's, yeah, yeah it's not. No, no, not going to happen. Not happen. <laughs> so we need to be making sure that we're not putting one step forward with supplementation then you know, that's good, and then one step backwards because there's maybe contamination in the mm. supplement and also making it realistic that she's going to be able to take because yeah. there's going to be, a, a, you know, pregnancy multi in there, there's going to be some fish oil, there's going to be some choline. You'll be so rattling around yeah, if you're taking not, too many. That's you know, not going to happen. Yeah, so a pure, a, a really pure um, concentrated fish oil um, or if you are vegan or vegetarian, there are algal sources of DHA and EPA um, that are vegan and vegetarian so that they're appropriate. So coming from microalgae, Yep. And, you know, then if you're worried about sustainability and things like that, that you know, the, uh, that mm. algae is coming from, like, it's grown. So not, you know, different to be, don't be thinking farmed fish. Mm. I find some people think, oh, farmed fish bad, grown microalgae bad. It's like, mm. no, it's it's grown in that. So that means it's clean and there's no issues with that. Um, and then it's vegan and vegetarian friendly mm. or, you know, highly sustainable and, and stuff. So if that's your kind of preferences, you've got options there. Mm-hmm. Now, one thing that I find fascinating from some of the literature recently is that omega-3s so our dha we've been talking about also epa really important for her so both mm-hmm. of the epa and dha coming from fish oil or coming from algal oil um, really important for neurodevelopment mm-hmm. people might be familiar with that but the studies showing how it helps her go full term and oh, helps yeah. the birth weight of the of the child like that's fascinating yeah and that was shown in a recent cochrane review so that's the kind of seen as the gold standard um, as good as it gets as good as it gets in the scientific literature um and uh yeah it it had a pretty profound impact on um the ability of women to take these pregnancies to full term which is incredible yeah (laughs) because it's like it's pretty clear that obviously if you know the child is born prematurely 
it's you know we still haven't gone through full development that's mm. obviously going to impact the health of the, mm. the child through its life um, helping the mother go full term is, is huge and then regulating the birth weight and there's those studies that also look at birth weight will influence health as M- well metabolic health immune yeah. programming yeah it's huge so it's about being you know in that Goldilocks zone of health, like just right, you don't want to be too over, you don't want to be too yeah, under, and exactly. EPA and DHA surprisingly does that. Like I was surprised. Yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's really quite, it's almost bizarre. But I've seen this as well, where mothers that have had, um, you know, their first pregnancy, second pregnancy, even premature, haven't gone full term, and then taking fish oil through the the subsequent pregnancy, go full term, mm. you know, and everyone's surprised. Like the whole birthing team's like, wow, that. Don't know how that happened. It's like, well, mm. it happened because of EPA, DHA. Mm. And I think in that Cochrane review, wasn't it? It was like the chances of like her birthing before 25 weeks was reduced by nearly 50%. Yeah, it was like, profound. It was huge. <laughs> so EPA and DHA. The other thing that I think is really interesting is changing the immune programming of the child. Mm. Like, okay, maybe it helps because she goes full term, but even if she you know, was going full term anyway, EPA, DPA, EPA DHA <laughs> supplementation from week 25 on um, and through the time of breastfeeding helped that child decrease its risk of developing okay. asthma. Atopic and, conditions, yeah. Yeah, so, um, yeah any of those al- allergic sort of presentations. So really important to be taking fish oil. Mm. I find that a lot of mothers think about it during the breastfeeding stage mm. but not necessarily during pregnancy. Yeah. Um, so be getting that in there. Doses that I work with of what I've been looking at at least starting at about 1.2 grams a day of EPA and DHA. Combined, so, you know, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. you really want to be starting on like 600 milligrams of DHA. So, yep. yeah, 600 milligrams of EPA. Typically in supplements you'll get a little bit more EPA than DHA. Mm-hmm. So you'll probably be looking more at like 1.4 combined of that. Mm. Then up to around the 2.5 grams of combined. Yep. So yep. Um, that's what you're kind of aiming for. Uh, omega-3 is critically important. Choline, really important. Folic acid, obviously really important. Yeah. What else is on your list? Um, so you mentioned iron before. I think that's um, important to stress. Um, our, in- our requirement of iron dramatically increases during pregnancy. Uh, I do think it's important, um, you know, to maintain healthy iron. Uh, so you're looking at around, you know, uh, 20 to 30 milligrams of iron a day mm-hmm. um, to just maintain uh, healthy iron levels and then assessing like your practitioner um, or you, your health practitioner can assess your iron levels you may need more on top of that depending on your iron levels yeah and a lot of women are sitting on the lower end of yeah their iron status but it's important to acknowledge that you know going too high isn't good either no, with iron. No, no, um, no. and and that's um, important for uh, neurological development as you mentioned um, iodine is another one so so um, you mentioned thyroid, uh, how important the thyroid is for uh, the neurological development of the child. Well, iodine is something that we really need for healthy thyroid function. And again, iodine um, requirements go up pretty dramatically in pregnancy. So that's another one that we really need to look at. It's pretty hard to get in our diet as well. Mm. Um, we don't get a lot of, uh, you know, it, it's in seafood and things like that, but it's it's hard to get enough of it. Yeah, there was an Australian study where they were saying that so your RDI in pregnancy, I think, is still 300 micrograms of iodine, but it probably it, it may go up. It's so 300 micrograms of iodine, I believe, is 220. That? 220. Yeah. Ah, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. sorry. Um, but the supplemental range is you know, 300. 300. Yeah. And they were looking at women not even getting, like 85% of women weren't uh, getting 150. Yeah. You know, so yeah. it's like 
most people, again, aren't getting enough of the iodine. Similar story to choline. And what that'll do is if you're... I mean, our thyroid puts out two different hormones, right? So, like, T4, and then that's converted to the active T3. Mm -hmm. And the T4 of the mother is really important in that first trimester for Mm -hmm. the developing fetus. And... If she's not getting enough iodine, it's going to compromise her T4 function. And mm-hmm. then we've seen those studies where then in that child, when it's, born, when it's born several years later, like two, three years of age, its IQ is less. Its processing yeah, yeah. speed is less. Its memory and attention is less than a mother who had sufficient levels of iodine, sufficient levels of the T4 thyroid hormone. Yeah, yeah. And we, we've seen this um, decrease again with fortification. Uh, before fortification, it was a real issue um, where it had dramatic impacts on neurological function. But we see more subtle, subtle mm. impacts if you're sort of insufficient rather than deficient. Yeah. Um, so I think it's really important to get optimal levels. And that's why, you know, supplemental range is a bit higher than the RDI. Yeah, great point. Mm. Yeah, nice. And I'm just thinking, you know, if if her iodine status is a bit compromised, her choline status is a bit lower, she's not getting enough EPA, DHA, all this stuff starts to add up. It does, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So iodine, certainly important if you know you've got a history of thyroid problems, like Mm. if you've had hypothyroidism, if that's been suspected, if you're Mm -hmm. feeling quite sluggish, putting on weight easily, like always feeling cold, again, seeing your practitioner Mm -hmm. about assessing your thyroid function and T4 is a really easy test they'll do and they'll test other hormones for the thyroid and then either way you don't have to be suffering from thyroid issues make sure you're getting that decent levels mm-hmm. of, of optimal levels of iodine intake what else then uh so there's one more that i really want to talk about and i'm happy to talk about others if you um wish to as well but vitamin d something mm. that i think is really important we're again uh pretty um, commonly deficient in vitamin d in australia and new zealand um it's even though we've got lots of sun, uh, we've been told to avoid it for good reasons um, or minimise it, exposure. Uh, but that has actually put us at risk of vitamin D deficiency. Um, and again, we want to aim for optimal levels of vitamin D. Uh, and the reason being, you know, it's important for a lot of things, uh, but the one that I um, really want to stress is that its impact on immune programming for the child. So we see um, things like uh, atopic conditions, again, uh, things like eczema and um, asthma increase if the mother's deficient in vitamin D. Um, and there's also intriguing research showing that, uh, you know, being optimal, having optimal vitamin D reduces risk of neurological conditions in the child as well. Mm. Uh, so I think it's, again, something that we really need to consider supplementing with. So optimal levels of vitamin D, if you're ever getting your vitamin D tested, which is hard to do these days in Australia yeah. because it's just assumed everyone's deficient. But if you're willing to pay, it's generally around $40. You can get that tested, and you're looking at it being above 100 Mm. nanomoles. Now, standard labs will be, like, happy if it's above 75 nanomoles, but the research has really shown that if it's above 100 nanomoles, that's when you start to get those, as you're saying, optimal health outcomes in the mum and and also in the child. And I think the neurodevelopment is really interesting where there was that study where they gave mothers who had one child who is already diagnosed being on the autistic spectrum disorder. And if you've got one child who's been diagnosed, then your likelihood of having another child is about 20%, Mm -hmm. right? And so for their subsequent pregnancy, they just supplemented her with like 5,000 IU a day for the whole pregnancy, and they found that it dramatically reduced the risk of um, them having a child that was then diagnosed with autism. It went down to like 5%. Mm. Um, And even in those, it was very very low in the diagnostic criteria. So it was 
Um, huge outcomes for that child. Mm. Vitamin D crosses the placenta, gets in and helps with the development of the brain, um, especially brain regions that are you know important for memory and attention and stress response in the child. Um, it also programs the metabolic health, doesn't mm. it? Like it, it influences yeah. the fat mass in the child, and they're more likely to have like healthier fat mass because there's like differences in in fat, um, and that child's then less likely to develop obesity and these metabolic issues later in life as well. Yeah, so again, pretty profound. Um, so when we're looking at, you know, I think every woman should supplement with vitamin D, um, a, a sort of around 1,000 IU of vitamin D a day. Mm-hmm. And perhaps if you've got, uh, you know, these risks of um, neurological conditions like autism spectrum, you may wish to then test and uh, supplement on top of that perhaps um, if a practitioner thinks you require more. Um, and things like allergies as well, maybe you wish to test um uh, but at least a thousand are you a day i think uh, throughout pregnancy is a standard yeah it's another one that's just people aren't getting enough of yeah yeah yeah. and i guess that makes me think about the importance of probiotics as well for programming during pregnancy which segue (laughs) again a lot of people don't think about during pregnancy it might be something that Mm. the mother might think about during breastfeeding stage yeah but um, and I was talking about this recently and someone sort of clarified afterwards and was like, so if she's taking a probiotic, does it get into the, does it get into the child? Like we've all kind of heard <laughs> about the microbiome and the, the collection of bugs and that are in our digestive system and how that influences our health and, you know, influences everything through mm. immune system, through to neurological development, etc. And it's like, interestingly, the mother's microbiome so the bacteria in her gut actually produces epigenetic changes it does. and changes yeah. the expression in the, the in the infant. Yeah, and we've actually seen um, studies with probiotics changing the epigenetic patterns in mothers and then in the in the child as well, um, which is really fascinating. Um, so I think that you know. It, it doesn't matter if the, the bugs aren't getting to the baby directly. Mm. Um, what we're seeing is with um, you know epigenetic changes, uh, changes in the mother's immune programming, which will then impact the child. Um, and you know, and then of course it's it's going to impact the mother's microbiome, which then if the child is born uh, through the vaginal canal, that's going to impact the microbiome transfer as well. Um, but I think that that's probably like. That, that might be a factor, but it's not the only factor. Mm, mm, mm. So we want to be getting it through the whole pregnancy, yeah. essentially, and even yeah. ideally before like the preconception period. Ideally, um, preconception throughout pregnancy, at the very least in the last the third trimester, yeah. um, at the very least. Like if you've missed that opportunity, get it in at the third trimester and throughout breastfeeding. Yeah, and that then decreases. Like there's very strong studies on showing that particular strains of probiotics during that third trimester and during the breastfeeding stage, if the child's not being breastfed and mm-hmm. given directly to the child, can decrease its risk of developing atopic disorders like asthma, eczema. eczema. Um, Also studies showing how it improves learning development in the child. So those studies were looking at the strain Lactobacillus rhamnosus LGG. A couple other strains have been shown to be beneficial are also like Bifidobacterium brevi M16. Yep. Um, And the BB12, so the um, Bifidobacterium lactis. Um, BB12 um, and though actually the LGG and the BB12 um, during pregnancy so that can actually have a huge impact on the mother's metabolic health as well which I think is really important to acknowledge. Stops her putting on too much weight. Um, um, and gestational, diabetes, gestational diabetes, hypertension, 
Yeah, which um, is probably important to talk about is making sure that she's not putting on too much weight. Like we mentioned that in the preconception period. It's not true that she's eating for two. Like there's a certain amount of weight that you want to be putting on. If you put on too much, you will impact the metabolic health of your child. And so that's why we're like... We're always looking at what's the weight gain through that pregnancy. Mm. They'll be looking at doing tests for things like gestational diabetes. If that is taking place, then we want to be curbing that. Mm. That's certainly where a practitioner is important to be able to provide you with good, holistic, healthy dietary options that will be helping to minimise that excessive weight gain during the pregnancy and optimise the metabolic health because they're all tied together. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it, the amount that you need to gain um, will depend on your starting weight. Mm-hmm. Um, so your practitioner can sort of assess that. Uh, I think that's important. Um, and like you said, the goal is perhaps not to lose weight during pregnancy. No, no we don't want to <laughs> recommend that. But we do want to minimise excessive weight gain. And the interesting thing, I think, like while we may not put um, a woman on a like a weight loss diet, of course not, um, We a lot of the principles that we use in weight loss diets can actually be transferred so there's a lot of things like um you know maintaining adequate protein um you know watching excessive caloric intake and sort of um uh making sure that things like sleep which can have a big impact on weight Mm. um is dialed in exercise um it's uh, unless um you know in extreme circumstances we've been recommended to avoid exercise um Exercise during pregnancy is actually really healthy. Uh, so, you know, maintaining and building muscle mass throughout pregnancy can um, be a wonderful way to curb that um, metabolic dysfunction and weight excessive weight gain. And I think that this is where, in the ideal world, if we've been able to work with someone in that preconception period, mm. you've established a really good foundation for that health to then track through mm-hmm. with pregnancy. But, you know, if that hasn't been the case and someone... It's during their pregnancy that they start to experience you know, high blood glucose levels, concerns of gestational diabetes, excessive weight gain. Working with that practitioner can then just help to recorrect that course. Mm. Yeah, and things like even the Mediterranean-style diet, like a wellness diet, uh, can have pretty profound impacts on uh, metabolic health. Mm. And a bonus of that is that you're getting this diversity in um in nutrients you're getting a really high density nutrient diet um and it also it's high in fiber it's going to lower the risk of constipation and yeah. improve energy it's like there's a lot of threes, benefits yeah 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 and then all of those nutrients then help keep that health on track as exactly. well yeah. yeah yeah okay so making sure that we're keeping our metabolic health on track during the pregnancy critically important Obviously, minimising stress um, mm. as, as much as possible, critically important. If you are starting to feel through those hormonal changes, maybe with, um, I know some women can start to feel obviously anxious or overwhelmed mm. about the birth itself, um, or even just if it's their first child, etc. So that's certainly where a practitioner can be working with the individual there. And avoiding toxin exposure, which I'm surprised at how much this cliche does exist about... <laughs> Don't feel like it's a great time to start renovating the house. Like don't <laughs> yeah. don't start to think it's the great time to rip out the bathroom. Um, obviously, there's going to be a, a lot of nesting taking place, so um, you know setting up the nursery, etc. But I think it's a really good time to put your feet up, and then the partner can deal with that. <laughs> yeah. The partner can be doing the painting. The partner can be doing any of that stuff. But making sure that mother is not getting any excessive toxin exposure, which I find that's the number one areas where it comes through, is they might start to 
it's through changes in the home mm. where they'll start to get some exposure through some nasty chemicals there. Yeah, and it's, I think it's a really good thing to consider. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. And then with those kind of nutrients, so what do we talk about? Folic acid, choline, choline um, B, vitamins, B vitamins, iron, iodine. Omega-3, so EPA, D. DHA. Yeah. So basically what that looks like really, because we just listed it, bunch of things yeah. um, I think that lo- it typically looks like a really good quality pregnancy multi um, it looks like a, um, you know a source of choline so a supplemental choline um, it looks like a source of um, omega-3 so you're talking either a good quality fish oil really pure um, high strength fish oil uh, or a algal oil um, with with that source of DHA and then uh, we mentioned a probiotic as well mm. Yeah. So covering those, and I will just say on that, don't be very dubious if you start seeing all that wrapped up into one. Right? Oh, like I've seen yeah. <laughs> pregnancy multis, and it's like, oh, but hey, this pregnancy multi has my fish oil already in it, and maybe even has my probiotic. And it's like you've got to be getting therapeutic doses of that. We've talked about some of those doses yeah. that you're looking at. So look through if you're taking your pregnancy multivitamin, look on the label and start to see like has it got these things there, and then start to look at these doses there. Mm-hmm. Has it got enough vitamin D? It's got choline. How much choline am I actually getting from that? And, you know, I think certainly the choline and the omega-3s and the probiotics, it's like they're going to need to be additional on top of your multivitamin. Unfortunately, but it's like unless you're taking a tablet the size of your fist, it's it's not going to happen. It's not going to fit in there. It's not realistic. Yeah. And then covering your lifestyle. Yep. So So metabolic control. Metabolic. um, So exercise, sleep, stress. Yep. Mm. And then toxin exposure minimizing Mm -hmm. those now thankfully i'm just thinking if you're curious to know more about those there's previous episodes where we talk about those so Mm -hmm. in i think the first couple of episodes one to five we start talking about how to clean up your home so Mm -hmm. as joe was mentioning how to be swapping over personal care products cleaning products start to find out about where the three main chemical labs are in your home Mm -hmm. um because you know, as you mentioned, Joe, toxins are ubiquitous, mm. but it's like, okay, how do I approach this? If toxins are everywhere, where do I need to put my most practical interventions? It can be overwhelming. Totally, yeah. totally. So there's some episodes for you there. There's also episodes on weight loss to find out about healthy um, dietary um, techniques to be helping to reduce weight. More important in that preconception period, if you're wanting to approach that yourself, I'd say as mm. a listener, if you are in the pregnancy period, do be speaking with a practitioner because you don't want to jump on like a hardcore weight loss uh, exactly. intervention, right? But I mean, a lot of the principles will still, um, still hold. Apply. So I think, uh, you know, do listen to it, <laughs> to the podcast, I mean, um, but do talk to your practitioner as well. Yeah. yeah. And then for stress, there's a couple of episodes there on stress as well. So if you want to look at how you can support these lifestyle factors, um, certainly go back and have a listen to those that can dive into a little bit of detail for you. But um, I think that's been really comprehensive, Joe, mm-hmm. to establish the importance of that preconception and pregnancy window. Mm-hmm. I guess moving into the, the next window through lactation, any any highlights that you kind of want to bring out for that, that period? Yeah, yeah. So we've got another really um, important window of opportunity this like two, first two years of life, right? Um, uh, I think the, the the biggest things to think about here are um, uh, sort of the gut microbiome of the child, so a probiotic, um, yeah. uh, and we can talk about a few things there, but also about um, their environmental enrichment, which looks like, you know, play and a, a loving environment and skin-to-skin contact and those kind of things. Yeah. 
Um, so maybe we can start talking about the gut microbiome first and the, the role of a probiotic. For sure. So the gut microbiome of the child, as you mentioned, is kind of like seeded and initiated through the mm. birthing canal if they're born through a vaginal birth. If they're born through a C-section, that doesn't take place. And so really more important to start to establish that microbiome mm-hmm. in the child. But it doesn't mean that you have to give probiotics directly to the kid, does it? No, that's interesting, actually. Um, the mother, if a mother is breastfeeding um, and if they're taking a probiotic, um, ideally in the last trimester, um, so the third trimester, and then throughout breastfeeding, um, those benefits are actually transferred to the child. Um, and then what that looks like is a lower risk of things like eczema, asthma, again, what you, like you mentioned, um, neurological improvements. Um, and... Uh, yeah, that, that happens through the transfer of bacteria, but also through immune programming and epigenetic changes. Because you're changing the health of the mother through changing the health of her microbiome. Yeah. And then that health of the mother is then passed on through the ingredients in the breast milk mm. that then help program that child. Mm-hmm. So irrespective of the birth delivery of the child, um, probiotics are critically important to establish that health. Yeah, and... You know, breastfeeding, I want to just mention how important that is. Um, it, breastfeeding has, um, you know, one, it's the, the biggest influence on the mm. microbiome development of the child um, within the first, is it two years? Yeah, first two years. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, so that's really important. And I also want to acknowledge that not all women can or wish to breastfeed. Yeah. Um, so in that case, I think it's important to then supplement the child with probiotics. Uh, if that's the case. Definitely. And there is some times where people, you might read some uh, alarming studies or something in the media about how, you know, we've just been talking about toxins in the mother, that Mm. she may start to, you know, she may pass through some toxins through the breast milk to the child, which is obviously very unfortunate. Again, ideally, why cleaning up the health of the mother prior to conception Uh, doesn't so that doesn't take place so that's not passed during pregnancy or passed through the breast milk irrespective if none of that has happened you're still better off breastfeeding and it's the risk to benefit sure unfortunately some toxins may be passed through to the breast milk but that's just the reality yeah um you're still going to get far better things passed through the breast milk that'll offset any potential consequences yeah it builds it actually builds resilience to Mm. toxins breast milk um and that's actually been uh, recommended by the world health organization right it's that the the benefits of breast milk um in all but extreme circumstances outweigh the risks of toxin transfer um and what we know about uh how um, important the gut microbiome is for our defense against toxins it's not surprising when we know that breast milk actually improves that so which is why it's so important then for like even probiotic and breast milk and Mm -hmm. to be getting that healthy robust diverse microbiome in that child Mm. um so that it's then able because the gut will actually detoxify 40 percent of our toxins yeah it's incredible (laughs) people always think about the liver when we're thinking about detoxification but the gut deals with that and a lot of that's influenced by our microbiome status Mm, mm -hmm. so that's going to help as you say build the resilience of the kid yeah yeah Mm. um so a probiotic's really important there's other things that we can do to improve the microbiome as well Mm. um in the child uh things like um play pets like exposure to pets and exposure to nature so green time um we've mentioned breastfeeding it's really important uh, and, um, you know, breastfeeding when we're introducing solids. So, like, we introduce solids around the six-month period um, for immune tolerance perhaps a little bit earlier. We might begin that process, but we want to be breastfeeding throughout that process as mm. well. So 
some people may have thought in the past it's been said you kind of push that back for food introduction and now they're sort of saying even around 17 weeks in yeah, yeah. you start to induce um, introduce small amounts of foods and it helps while that immune system is developing in that child it's sampling all the different types of bugs in the gut and the mm. bugs coming through from the breast milk and it'll then start to sample things coming through from the food and it helps to kind of build its breadth of understanding of the foods and proteins and compounds it'll get exposed mm. to so continuing to breastfeed starting to introduce around that sort of 16 uh, sorry 17 weeks but certainly before that six month mark they show that is beneficial for helping with tolerance of that food of that child so it doesn't grow up and start to develop you know start to show it's got reactions to foods which is hugely becoming more and more common these days yeah and it's actually the most um allergenic or the problematic foods that they're recommending introducing in that um after that seven week Mm. um period Mm. so which is really interesting which is interesting obviously (laughs) still always follow um the the guidelines of you know being careful introducing you know nuts and Mm -hmm. eggs and Mm. in case your child's got an anaphylactic reaction um but yeah following that just bringing the timeline of when you're doing it and continuing to breastfeed and the breastfeeding and especially with this probiotic supplementation will help with the immune system's ability to tolerate that food. Mm-hmm. And that kind of goes back to the studies that we were talking about on LGG and how, mm. you know, they've done studies on that reducing the reactivity to things like peanuts and dairy and mm-hmm. eggs and that you know, children develop less reactions to that, mm. which, is, which is awesome. Mm. It's really important because... Food allergies are really problematic for the child and as especially as they grow up. So probiotics are really important. Um, getting that child to then diversify their microbiome through playing outside, playing in the dirt, playing mm. in nature, playing with other kids, pets, yep. all of that boosts it. Even exposure to infections, that does also boost our immune system's resilience as well. Yeah, I suppose um, just not being too afraid of dirt and germs and things like that yeah not using antibacterial wipes on everything right yes and so that child needs exposure you know the five second rule certainly applies when the food falls on the ground you know um depending on what the ground is i suppose but yeah it's um, all within context right (laughs) the over sanitarization of stuff is problematic and that's then when obviously some of those will then get picked up so when we're wiping the baby's hand constantly some of those um, antimicrobials in those wipes will then also get passed into the child's mouth, yeah. which then act as an antimicrobial wiping out some of the, the good bacteria. Of in course. The Where so, do kids put them? their fingers? Mm, they put them in their mouth. Yeah. So anything you put on a child's hands is going to end up in their gut. <laughs> yeah. They can't be sort of, I'm not saying they need to be grotty and dirty and stuff, but you've got to be balanced with it. Like exactly. don't try to be over, over clean it and a little bit of exposure to these bugs is good. I suppose that's the difference between general hygiene and then being overzealous with antimicrobials. <laughs> Good differentiation, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, other factors that you talked about in terms of supporting the development of that child is, yeah, critically important for the love yeah. and the support, which goes without saying, but that has the ability to undo some of the wrongs potentially. Like if, for instance, the mother was stressed leading into pregnancy, you know, she conceived uh, the loving and nurturing support in that child in that infancy period can help to redo some of that programming that mm. may have happened if the mother was stressed during pregnancy or there was something that happened that wasn't controlled. You know, was, life happens. Yeah, um, yeah. But putting in that enriched, loving, caring, supporting environment for that child. And I guess to define what that looks like is probably hard, but it's certainly from the studies that have looked at like skin-to-skin contact yep. with the parent, 
certainly just that spending that time and bonding with that child which sort of which happens um, these are the, just these simple little things play uh, yeah. as well yeah. um, and Laughter. you know we're talking about both parents or both you know the, the, the people that are the carers of these child, um, children like even contact with dad um, yep. has been shown to have these improvements as well like skin to skin contact um, I know we're talking about mum at the moment yeah. but I think it's important to acknowledge that um, and um, in, you know other things like environmental enrichment as well so what we talk about is um you know uh, diversity and exposure of um like interests like um seeing nature seeing different different things mm. um, not uh, basically avoiding boredom <laughs> yeah and certainly not the falling temptation to the risk of just using you know the tablet screens you know, yeah. the screen and yeah. just being able to use that it's like that tactile responses um being in different environments mm. all of that the communication and sounds etc all all of the stimulation from that will help with the neurodevelopment of that child yeah it improves brain plasticity so it helps build connections within the brain mm. um and kids are doing that at such a fast rate um in that first you know couple of years of life yeah it's like nearly a couple hundred the brain it's, grows like a couple hundred percent in the first yeah. six months or something it's um, it's massive uh so the more that we can support brain plasticity which is the you know the, those connections and the building of connections um the better mm-hmm. so just take a step back it sounds like we've just listed a bunch of things that are important for the mo- like the parents to be doing mm-hmm. uh, the mother to be doing during pregnancy and preconception especially and then during this infancy window the first couple of years of life and playing devil's advocate to that i'm just like Wow, having a child can be overwhelming enough, you <laughs> yeah. know? Um, so what we're talking about, I guess, is important just to step back and say this shouldn't be seen as another overwhelming list of, oh, my God, I've got to do this and this and this, and it's just all too difficult. I think breaking it down to those core principles of saying in the preconception window, be mindful of your metabolic health, your body composition, be looking at your stress levels, be looking at toxin exposure, and certainly most importantly, be looking at your nutritional status. Mm -hmm. Continue those through pregnancy. Mm -hmm. Really simple to do that. I think you listed out, what it would be, four supplements she's taking, a pregnancy multivitamin, some choline, a probiotic, and some EPA and DHA from some fish oil, some algal oil. Get that in. Be mindful about, again, what's going on in your life, toxin exposure, stress levels, metabolic health. Mm -hmm. Pretty simple to do, really, like if you break it down like that. Mm -hmm. And then that will set up for making that really difficult, great, rewarding, challenging, stressful, sleep-depriving time of infancy a bit easier as well because Mm. that child is going to walk into that being of a healthier situation. So the chances of that child experiencing things such as, you know, the common infections and colic and digestive complaints and, you know, likelihood of it sleeping better is going to be just pitched a little bit more to it being easier and better for that child and which will obviously help with the parent and the mother especially is going to be in that situation I suppose with a better a better health she's had a nutritional she's not coming into that anemic rundown you know they see like a greater incidence of postnatal depression in someone who has low omega-3 levels Mm -hmm. so her ability to be more resilient and adaptable at that time period is going to be greater because she's established better health through those previous periods as well right Mm -hmm. so hopefully that's helps break it down i just didn't want i didn't want us to seem like there's there's a more shopping list of things to do um but 
establishing those priorities for the mother. Um, anything else that you think is really important that we haven't captured in any of those windows? Uh, you know, I, I think it's important um, that we acknowledge the role of dad, like you said at the beginning. I, I, I really, um, I think that's uh, such an important thing that gets underestimated. And so I'd, I suppose I'd encourage uh, you to listen to the, the next podcast um, about dad's health. And yeah, the, yeah, yeah, I think it's something that I'm really passionate about is that, you know, there's dads need to pull their weight and <laughs> um, there's still a lot of stuff. We obviously often just think about the mother because she's the one that's making the child mm. but it's that that conception prior to conception stuff is very much influenced by the father as yeah. well yeah so we'll be talking more about that in the next episode but hopefully this has been really Im- influential and important to understand just how you can impact the health of your child it's not just going to be it doesn't end it's not just the labor or it's not just the first couple of months of that child's birth i think going back to where you started joe is that this is the whole life of the child mm. and even subsequent generations will be impacted by the health of the mother and the father prior to conception, during pregnancy, especially like, you know, from that mother, what's going on with her nutritional status will play a huge role in influencing the immune programming of that child, the neurodevelopment of that child and the metabolic health of that child. Doing whatever you can do at whatever stage you're at you know, if you're listening to this and you're in your third trimester, that's okay. Like you can still jump in and enhance the programming that takes place and the genetic expression of that child to set them up with the best health outcomes mm. um, for their life. And I think that there is the true essence of um, preventative healthcare. Mm. And what you're really trying to do as a parent, like you're trying to set your children up to be the best, healthiest, you know, happiest uh, adults that they you know they can eventually become so it's like this will help that process for them mm. so thanks so much for your time joe that's been fantastic thanks lawrence thanks for listening to your health guide any resources or links discussed in the episode can be found at metagenics.com.au to help you continue on your health journey don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and if you found this episode useful please rate and review us if you have any questions about how this information could relate to your health condition, please go and speak to your natural healthcare practitioner who can provide you with specific advice for your health needs.